Welcome back to episode 45 of the Combat Review. In this episode, I apologise, I've left it for so long, I know you all missed me dearly, but we have uh, an overview of jo Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk. Spoiler alert, uh, Anthony Joshua lost all his belts again. Complacent, Anthony, complacent. Uh, we then have an overview of UFC 266, which was this past weekend featuring Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian T. City, and of course, the return of Nick Diaz. So, sit yourselves down. Get yourselves comfortable, and here is 35 minutes of some combat review. Right. So this past weekend, we've had a lot of fight action. There's been a lot going on. We, of course, had UFC 266. Um, and on Saturday night, we also had uh, Alexander Usyk versus Anthony Joshua. And I want to unpack that a little bit because, as we know, we almost got the Fury-Joshua fight, which is kind of the fight that everyone wanted. And it's the fight that I wanted specifically because I think that Anthony Joshua is uh, not better than Tyson Fury. I think Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight in the world. Um, I think most people kind of agree with that. You, you can you can have a, a debate about these diehard Joshua fans that kind of think that he's the best. And I, I don't see that argument. I, I can't fathom or understand how people think that Anthony Joshua is the best. Um, and I'm not trying to shit on Anthony Joshua. Like, he's obviously a very ca capable boxer, um, and he's very good, but he's not Tyson Fury. And I know Tyson Fury comes with his, you know, baggage and the journey that he's been through, and he says stuff sometimes that he probably shouldn't say, and he's obviously got a lot better at things like that. And, you know, he's got wife and lots of kids, and he lives in Morecambe, and he's just, he's just a very weird character. Of course, his whole family was um, travellers, gypsies, well, I don't know what the correct terminology to use is these days, um, but I'm going to go with travellers. Um, and then, obviously, he's had, he's had a few kids. He's been with his, his wife, Paris, for a long time, and... He had well-documented mental health problems. He won the belts. He got them stripped off him, drug-taking, drinking, went up to about 28 stone or however much he weighed and then lost it all and then came back. And that's kind of the the underdog story that a lot of people like. When you look at sort of Anthony Joshua's career, it's kind of the opposite. And I know that sort of when he was a lot younger in London, he was involved in, um, you know, gang-related stuff or drug-related stuff or whatever. He hasn't had it easy either. But he's pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and we are where we are. But I just feel that I look through Joshua's record, and yes, he's beaten Dillian White, um, he's beaten Vladimir Klitschko, Takam, Parker, Povetkin. Then, of course, we had the the Andy Ruiz with his his sort of debut in his debut in America, which is the first time he fought outside of the UK. Um, and he lost. He got TKO'd in the seventh round, and we all remember watching that and all kind of going, hang on a minute, this fat little Andy Ruiz guy has just knocked out the guy that we thought was the man. Um, then, of course, the rematch with Andy Ruiz and Joshua went to work, got his, <clears throat> excuse me, got his belts back. That was in Saudi Arabia. Um, and I I guess when he when he lost those belts, everyone kind of had the feeling that he'd go away uh, train really, really hard and come back and he'd win the belts back. And it wasn't a shock when he did it. However, this time it feels different. Um, 
it feels a lot different. Obviously, after the, the Ruiz fight, he fought um, Pulev, KO'd him in the ninth round. And then, of course, we went off and tried to make the Tyson Fury fight. Now, we all know what happened with this Tyson Fury fight. And if you don't know, I will quickly tell you. Long story short, um, Fury and Joshua entered into negotiations to make the fight. Um, we then had uh, a sort of a, a shadow. We had COVID obviously going on. Um, they weren't sure whether they could make the fight at Wembley because they didn't know how many fans were going to be allowed in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was then all the way in the background when we're doing these negotiations and Eddie Hearn had, had, had found a, a venue in Saudi Arabia and got the, the money raised and was running around doing it all on his own and telling everyone that had a pulse that um, he had been doing it all on his own and, and Bob Aaron was doing nothing and Frank Warren was doing nothing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all the while in the background, and, and Joshua's team blames Fury for this, and Fury's team bl blames Joshua for this, but the fact of the matter is, is they're both to blame because everyone knew that there was an arbitration going on regarding Wilder's immediate rematch against Fury. So Fury, of course, drew with Wilder the first fight. The second fight, Fury battered him. Uh, and then there was a third fight that was kind of being discussed but um, it had to go through arbitration because Fury and Joshua didn't want to do it. So everyone went off and made this fight knowing that there could be something coming down the pipe later on that this fight might not actually get made. Um, and then, of course, the fight didn't get made and we had the problems we had. Joshua went off to face Usyk and Fury is fighting Deontay Wilder, I think, in about two weeks' time in the middle of October. So... What we needed now to get this fight done was Joshua to beat Usyk and Fury to beat Wilder, and then we could do it again. The problem we now have is, if you watched the fight last night, Anthony Joshua lost. And he handedly lost. He lost a unanimous decision. And I think it was 116 to 111 or something like that. I know each each judge's scorecard was different, but he was, it was at least four points off it, you know. And you think about someone like Alexander Usyk and... We know that he was uh, the reigning cruiserweight champion. You know, he had all the belts. Um, and then he stepped up to heavyweight and, you know, he beat Derek Chisora. He, be he beat Chaz Witherspoon. We've all heard of Chaz Witherspoon. Um, of course, notably, he beat Tony Bellew uh, back in November 2018. But that was obviously when he was cruiserweight. Um, but he stepped up into the heavyweight division. And I think, I don't, I mean, I didn't take him seriously. And I don't follow boxing extremely closely. Um, if there's a big fight, I'll watch it. Um, but it's it's not it's not my favourite. Um, but when you sort of hear, right, who's this Usyk guy? And you look him up and you go, okay, well, he beat Tony Bellew, but he was cruiserweight. And now he's stepping up to heavyweight. And notoriously, cruiserweights that step up to heavyweight don't do amazingly well. I know we had David Hay that um, won the uh, the world title and he beat, um, I said, Valuev, the big, the massive guy. But... That was at a time where the heavyweight division wasn't very good. There wasn't your David Hayes. There wasn't your Joshua's. There wasn't your Wilder's. There wasn't your Andy Ruiz's. It was the kind of the Eastern Europeans. You know, you had the Klitschko's still in there and you had Valuev and it was all kind of boring and people weren't watching heavyweight boxing. Um, so notoriously when cruiserweights come up, you know, they don't set the world on fire. But Alexander Usyk last night looked very very good he looked very very comfortable at the weight um he did look smaller than joshua but he boxed better than joshua and this is kind of what i've been saying for quite a long time 
the best boxer in the heavyweight division is Tyson Fury, and that's the end of the conversation. Deontay Wilder is not a boxer. He's a heavy hitter. And you can look at all of his fights aside from the Fury fight, even the first Fury fight where he, he dropped him twice. He does not win decisions. He wins by knockout. He's won fights where he's been losing six or seven rounds in a row and knocked the guy out. That's what he does. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's great for a spectator. What I'm saying is, if you want to find the purest boxer in that heavyweight division, it's Tyson Fury, and there's not a close second. However, Alexander Usyk last night looked very, very impressive as far as his boxing goes. Joshua looked a bit lost. He landed the right hand, I don't know, maybe three times, I remember, clean. Um, and you could see at the end of the fight that he'd been here before. He knew. He knew he was losing. You know, he gave the first four, I say gave the first four rounds. He didn't do anything for the first four rounds. So all of a sudden, he's four rounds down when he's defending his belts. Then if he tries to turn it on and it doesn't work, he's halfway through the fight and he's done. You, there's a lot of... Floyd Mayweather used to do this a lot. And I, he obviously did it against Conor McGregor when they fought. But he spent the first four rounds trying to figure out the guy that he's fighting. And that's okay if you can figure it out and then turn it on. But Anthony Joshua last night did not figure it out. So he gave away the first four rounds. He gave away 30% of the fight before anything had happened. Um, and then by the time he realized he couldn't figure him out, it's too late. Half the fight's gone. So taking nothing away from Alexander Usyk, I thought he looked fantastic. Um, it's just backed up what I suspected before is that Joshua's not... I say not that good. Obviously, he's a fantastic boxer, and he was the, the reigning, defending, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, bar the WBC belt. So I'm not saying he's no good. What I'm saying is when you put him next to Fury, he's no good. <laughs> like, you know, there isn't a comparison. I think if if they fought, people would get a shock. And I genuinely think that Anthony Joshua knows he's not as good as Tyson Fury. My only worry is when Fury and Wilder fight in two or three weeks' time is that Fury will be a little bit complacent. And that's probably wrong of me to say because he's given me no indication that he will be complacent. He's still training. He's still doing interviews. He's still looking good. You know, he's a professional now. But when you're told you're about to get the biggest fight of your career and a certain payday and then that's ripped away from you and you have to fight Deontay Wilder for the third time, who is dangerous, even though you battered him the last time. That sort of feeling can't be good. Then he can kind of brush himself off and go, well, it's okay. Joshua will beat Usyk, and then I'll beat Wilder, and then the fight's on. Well, he's just watched Anthony Joshua lose to Usyk, so he knows there's going to be a rematch between Usyk and Joshua. And if Usyk beats Joshua again, Fury's got to pick himself up, dust himself off, deal with Deontay Wilder, and then see how this is going to how this is going to play out. But to be honest, watching that fight last night, Alexander Usyk would give Anthony Joshua more, uh, would give Tyson Fury more problems than I think Anthony Joshua would. And I mean that. So, you know, I, I don't want to sort of sit here and bash Anthony Joshua, but I'll be completely honest with you. He's not as good as everyone thinks he is. And I know he's beaten Parker, Takam, Klitschko, an aged Klitschko, Dillian White, Povetkin. I know he's beaten all these people, but they're, they're not great. Like, when you look at the, the heavyweight division, it's not filled with killers. All of these people have losses on their records. 
And the first one that he fights without a loss on his record, he loses. You know, so I don't know. And I, I know when you look at if you look at Deontay Wilder, uh, sorry, if you look at Tyson Fury's uh, heavyweight victories, and you look at Joshua's, Joshua's do look a little bit more impressive. You know, but you've got Fury who's beaten Chisora, Klitschko. Obviously, Drew with Wilder beat we really beat Wilder twice, and then you've got Tom Schwartz and Otto Wallin, and and they're not massive names. Joshua has got, I guess, the more well-known names. But when Fury beat Klitschko, that was when Klitschko was still just about Klitschko. When Joshua beat Klitschko, he was done, and I think that's the difference. But you know, I had this this discussion with the guys at football the other day, and uh, Fury's the best. I think I'll be proven that Fury's the best. I think Fury will deal with Wilder again. Um, I think Joshua will probably lose to Usyk again, um, and I'd like to see Usyk versus Tyson Fury, and then Tyson wins all the belts and he rides off into the sunset. But I guess we'll find out how that goes. UFC 266. There's a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. And I know we haven't talked UFC in five weeks, maybe. We've been away, a little bit of a break. I think uh, we had two fight nights, then two weeks off um, since UFC 265. Um, and then I was kind of waiting for this big card before the podcast returns. So the podcast has now returned, and we have a lot to talk about regarding UFC 266. Whew. So, I'll run through the results, and then we'll talk about the main event. Uh, in the prelims, we had Jonathan Pierce in the featherweight division defeating Omar Morales by submission rear naked choke. Matthew Semelsberger uh, defeated Martin Sano Jr. via knockout. Uh, Nick Maximoff defeated Cody Brundage by uh, unanimous decision. Jalen Turner defeated Urus Medic by submission. Then we moved on to the uh, prelim prelim cards, not the uh, early prelim cards in the women's fight division. Talia Santos defeated Roxanne Modafferi. There's my little Roxanne. One win, one loss. That's her favorite. <laughs> Look at her, uh, her uh, record. It is two wins, one loss. Two wins, one loss. One win, one loss. One win, one loss. One win, one loss. One win, two losses. She's my favourite. It's just yo-yoing up and down that division. Um, then in the heavyweight division, Chris Daukas defeated uh, Shamil Admramagarabhanov. Um, Chris Daukas has actually now won five in a row um, and is probably slowly slithering up that horrible heavyweight division pole. Um, yeah, he's currently sitting 10th. Um, he might actually move up. I don't think these rankings have been updated. So nice win there uh, by Chris Dalkus in the second round. Dan Hooker um, on the prelims. Poor, poor Hooker. Um, of course, uh, we know Dan Hooker. He got a unanimous decision victory over Nasrat Hakwapras, a name that no one can say, and it's impossible to announce, uh, pronounce. Um, we saw him obviously put a three-fight win streak together, beating people like Ally Quinta and Paul Felder. He then lost to Dustin Poirier in an extremely close, fantastic fight. He then got TKO'd by Michael Chandler, really disappointingly. So it's good to see Dan Hooker bounce back. He did, of course, have those visa issues where he was literally... You know, three days out, wasn't sure if he was going to get a visa to fly over. Uh, managed to get one, literally landed, got changed and pretty much fought. Um, so well done, Dan Hooker. 
back in the win column. We had Merab Davishvili defeating Marlon Morais by TKO in the bantamweight division. That's a pretty good one for the old bantamweights now. Um, he moves up to 11th. Um, and Marlon Moraes sits at sixth. Like I said, I don't think these have been updated yet, so you might see him break into the top 10 uh, and jump over people like Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz. Um, we then move on to the main card, and we had Jessica Andrade defeating Cynthia Calvillo via TKO punches. We had in the heavyweight division, Curtis Blades versus Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Curtis Blades winning by unanimous decision. Very dull fight, I'll be honest. Um, in the middleweight division, we saw Robbie Lawler return against Nick Diaz, uh, which we will talk about in detail shortly. Valentina Shevchenko defeated Lauren Murphy via Tico Elbows, and Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega brought the house down with a fantastic featherweight fight. If you haven't watched it, my God, go and watch it. So those are the results. Um, we will talk specifically uh, about the three main events. Uh, obviously, Lawler, Diaz, Shevchenko, Murphy, and Volkanovski Ortega. My thoughts on Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Calvillo. Yeah, uh, Andrade did what she does. She beats everyone that's not a champion. She's very, very good, but she's not good enough to really be the champion um, or sustain being a champion for too long. Um, <clears throat> if we look at that division now, Shevchenko, of course, sits at the top of it. Um, you know, we've got Caitlin Chikazian, Laura Murphy, Jennifer Meyer, Cynthia Calvillo. Shevchenko's beat them all. Um, so, you know, well done, Jessica Andrade, but you're not getting another title shot. And that's just the way it is. Um, Laura Murphy, you know, she just she's just an old woman. <laughs> like <laughs> she's just she's not she's when you look at Lauren Murphy and her talents, and I don't, I don't want to put her down here, but that division as a whole, it just isn't that great. You've probably got, you've got Shevchenko, then you've got three or four women in there that are all right, and then you've got everyone else, and that's just the way it is. Um, the division lacks a bit of depth. Everyone's fighting everyone. They're all fighting the same people over and over again. There's no one to really challenge Shevchenko. They're talking about Shevchenko versus Nunez again, even though Nunez won them both. So, you know, it's it's rough for that division. It is rough for that division. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo, Tico loss. I'm sure she'll be okay. Curtis Blades versus Rosenstruck. Look, this is a similar thing when we look at that division's landscape. Uh, Cyril Garn, of course, the interim champion, is on a collision course with Francis Ngannou later on in the year. Stipe Miocic. He only wants to come back for a title shot. Well, I think he should fight someone like Derek Lewis, to be honest, or John Jones. Curtis Blades has lost to Derek Lewis. Um, he is sitting fourth in the division. He's lost to Francis Ngannou. Um, where do you go with Curtis Blades? You know, he is only young, so his time will probably come. So it's probably in his best interest to just keep fighting people. But, um, you know, he beat Rosenstruck. Rosenstruck is all right. Um, he will beat everyone ranked below him most likely and lose to everyone ranked above him. And that's just the way it is. Um, oh, let's talk about this one, shall we? Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz. I'll tell you what. I was very excited about this fight. Um, one, because I like watching Robbie Lawler fight. Um, he just always, he always brings it. He always looks good. And unfortunately, he was on a four-fight losing streak. Um, 
you know, he lost to RDA, he lost to Ben Askren, he lost to Colby Covington, he lost to Neil Magny. Now, the Ben Askren one was a little bit unlucky because he was in a choke and the referee stopped it early. Colby Covington is just better than Robbie Lawler. It's just the way it is. Um, and then he lost to Neil Magny <clears throat> on a fight night. Nick Diaz lost for Anderson Silva in the UFC. I want to say in 2015. Um, it wasn't 2015. It was the 31st of January 2015. He lost a unanimous decision. It was overturned because he tested positive for uh, two things um, that I can't pronounce. Uh, Jostin alone and Androsterone. That was my best effort at that. Um, he also tested positive for marijuana. He then subsequently uh, got a five-year five-year suspension from the Nevada State Athletic Commission for testing positive for marijuana. Now, of course, you fast forward, you can do whatever you want with marijuana. It's not a problem. Um, but you look at Nick Diaz's career, and he was a killer, an absolute killer, being people like Frank Shamrock, being people like Paul Daly, BJ Penn, Takanori Gomi, you know, fighting people like Diego Sanchez when he was Diego Sanchez, Sean Shirk, Cara Parisian, Robbie Lawler, you know, Jeremy Jackson three times. It's it's Chris Lytle. You know, these people were at the peak of their powers when they fought Nick Diaz. And I just, I remember that Paul Daly fight in Strike Force in 2000, 2011, Jesus. And that fight was just one of the best rounds you'll ever see. Um, and, you know, even when he lost to Carlos Condit, unanimous decision, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, he's still fighting the best. And he's returned from five years out. And there was a lot of controversy surrounding this fight because Nick Diaz, um, four days before the fight, turned around and said, oh, this has to be a, a middleweight fight now. Sorry. So it's scheduled for 170 pounds at welterweight. Robbie Lord has been losing weight and doing his bits and pieces. And Nick Diaz turns up four days before the fight and says, yeah, um, it needs to be 885 pounds now. What's Robbie Lawler going to do? Say no? Of course he's not. So Nick Diaz turned up. We saw glimpses of him. Uh, did an interview with Breck, Brett Okamoto uh, for ESPN. We saw him in his UFC fight kit, and he looked uh, not out of shape because that's wrong. He, he's not out of shape. He's in good nick. It's Nick Diaz. But there was a picture that was circulated of him a year ago and they put it next to the picture of him when he turned up for his UFC fight. And they were like, they were two different bodies. You know, Nick Nick is in shape. He's not in fight shape. And he turned up not in fight shape. Um, now, the fight started and Robbie Lawler looked in good Nick. But Robbie Lawler always looks in good Nick. And what we saw is Nick Diaz came out with a, a jumping roundhouse kick, which missed by a mile. Um, and then Robbie Lawler just started attacking him. And Nick Diaz, it's almost like he'd forgotten what it was like to be in a fight. And it has been five years. And his motivations for coming back, we just don't really know. Um, and that's okay. Look, if he needs the money, he needs the money. But when you watch that fight unfold, he took about a minute and a half to realize he was in a fight. And then he started throwing back. And it was... If you didn't have Volkanovski and Ortega, that was fight of the night, hands down. It ended in the third round where Nick Diaz retired. Um, he he took a, a big right hand from Robbie Lawler, which dropped him. He was then down on one knee and Robbie went to follow up. And I think it just missed him. 
Uh, and the referee said, do you want to continue? And Nick just said, no, I don't. And I, there's not many times you see a stoppage like that, but I, I, I just respect it. I just, the way that Nick Diaz has come into this fight week, being as honest as possible with everyone that asked, I don't know why I'm doing this fight. I don't know why I'm fighting Robbie Lawler. I haven't fought in a long time. I'm not really up for it. Um, but this is what I do and I miss it and I want to do it. I want to do it again. I want to know if I've still got it. And yes, Nick Diaz did look like a Nick Diaz who hasn't fought in five years, but you know, and Robbie Lawler was obviously in ascendancy because he's been busy. You know, it's the fight played out how I thought it would play out. I thought Robbie Lawler would win. I thought it'd probably be by TKO. I didn't think Nick Diaz would be as competitive as he was. Now, you've got to remember Nick Diaz is 38, but Robbie Lawler is 39. But Robbie Lawler is an active 39-year-old, whereas Nick Diaz, no one knows what he's been doing for five years. Obviously, he does triathlons and swims and he does jiu-jitsu and all these other things. But if you do not fight for five years and you return to fight, it's probably not going to end well for you. And I don't think I want to see Nick Diaz fight again, but I am happy I got to see him fight in that fight. And I... I'm not mad at how it went. I'm not mad that he gave up. I like how he was competitive. I liked how he gave Robbie Lawler a run for his money for a couple of rounds. It never looked like Nick Diaz was going to knock out Robbie Lawler. He wasn't hitting hard enough, but his volume was there. And it just looked a little bit like the old Nick Diaz. Um, and it was great to see. So if you haven't watched the fight, go and watch the fight. It's, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of just brilliance of two OGs of the fight game. Um, and it was great to see. So we then have Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy. And to be honest, I'm not going to dwell on this too much. Um, it was a fourth round TKO, I think it was. Yeah, fourth round TKO. But like I said a minute ago, um, Valentina Shevchenko has beat Jessica Andrade. She's beat Jennifer Meyer. She's beat uh, Caitlin Kajian. She's beat Liz Carmu. She's beat Jessica Rye. She beat Yun Jacek. She, she lost to Nunes twice. And the only thing that people are talking about, she beat Holly Holm. The only thing that people are talking about is she should fight Amanda Nunes again. No, she shouldn't. She shouldn't. They need to do some serious work on that division because she's cleaned it out. And I don't want to see her clean it out again. Not taking anything away from her. She's a fantastic competitor. She is night and day, head over heels better than every single other person in her division. Um, she's not good enough to beat Amanda Nunes. It's just she's in just a difficult position. What I'd like to see is when Nunes retires, perhaps Shevchenko can move up um, to, uh, you know, the next, to bantamweight division and see what can happen. You know, I just, there's nothing for her there. Or maybe she can lose some weight and move down and fight Nama Yunis and, or dip into that division. I, I don't, I don't know, but... She's got to do something because it's just a bit dull. You know, it's just a bit dull watching her smash these average women. Now, we move on to the featherweight division. The main event. Alexander Volkanovsky, hailing from Australia. Um, versus Brian T-City Ortega. Volkanovski I've given a lot of heat to because I thought he lost to Max Holloway in the last fight. And in the first fight, um, you can also kind of uh, make these uh, suggestions as well. Brian Ortega has lost to Max Holloway. 
um, and pretty much beat everyone else. He beat the Korean Zombie, he beat Frankie Edgar, he beat Cops Swanson, he beat Clay Guida, he beat, beat Diego Brandau. Uh, but anytime he fights anyone with a belt, he loses. And he, he get all of this um, notion peddled out before fights that he's changed his fight camp and now he's taking things seriously. And that's all well and good to say, to paper over the cracks of what you did before. But what it does do is sets you up to fail this time if you do, in fact, lose. Because well, you changed all that stuff and you still lost. I'm not piling on to Brian Ortega here because that was a fantastic fight, particularly the third round. The third round was one of the best rounds in a championship fight that you'll see. Um, it started with Volkanovski on the front foot. Brian Ortega dropped Volkanovski and immediately put him in a uh, guillotine choke, mounted guillotine choke. Um, how Volkanovski didn't tap, I don't know. Volkanovski then got out and started pounding on um, Brian Ortega. Then after that, he somehow fell into a triangle and didn't tap and got out of that and then finished the round by pounding on Brian Ortega, went into the fourth round and he got stuck in a dash choke. So on one hand, you look at Brian Ortega and he had three chances to win that belt. And he is a jiu-jitsu specialist against Volkanovski, who obviously knows jiu-jitsu, but he's no Brian Ortega. And Ortega didn't finish it. He didn't, he had three opportunities to win that belt and he didn't take any of them. Um, but that being said, you know, the doctors looked at Ortega two or three times. They almost stopped the fight. He said he could see his eyes were closing up. Volkanovski had a cut over his ear. He had a cut by his eye. Um, and obviously, they've had all the history of the ultimate fighter and everything like that. But that was a fantastic championship fight. Um, you know, you don't get many of them that are just unbelievable. Uh, the the judges' scores had it 49-46, 50-45, and 50-44. I don't know which judge... Uh, gave Volkanovski a 10-8 round, and I don't know which round that would have been. Um, but one judge gave one round to Ortega, which, to be honest, I'm not mad at. You could have given the first round to him. Um, potentially the second, but it was probably the first round. But all the other judges had it uh, every round to Volkanovski. Brilliant fight. And now when you look down uh, the rankings where old Alexander is, uh, I keep wanting to say Alexander Usyk, not Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, he's obviously fought Max Holloway's, fought Brian Ortega. You've got Yaya Rodriguez sitting in third, uh, the Korean Zombie in fourth, Calvin Cater sitting in fifth. So I don't really know what's going on with right Yaya Rodriguez at the moment, and that's the problem. Um, it would be good to get him uh, firing on all cylinders, and maybe you can you can kind of push him towards a, a run at the belt, but. I know he beat Jeremy Stevens the last time out, but that was in 2019. You know, we're nearing two years since Yair Rodriguez last fought, and the guy is still ranked number three in that division, which doesn't say too much about the division. You've also got people like Arnold Allen, who is slowly but surely slithering up that division. So you can give him uh, one of the top guys, maybe the Korean Zombie, and perhaps push that towards him. You got you can make an argument that Max Holloway gets another shot, and I know that he's lost twice, but you genuinely can make that argument when you look at how those fights went. You've also got Giga Jakadze, uh, who's been putting some impressive performances together recently, um, who is ranked eighth. So there is a lot going on in that division from sort of five downwards, but in the top three, four, five, it's a little bit stale. So one of those guys needs to pull the finger out and break into the top. Um, 
into the top rankings. So there we go. So that was UFC 266, a very good uh, event if you haven't watched it. Um, next week, we have Tiago Santos fighting Johnny Walker and Kevin Holland fighting Carl Dukas. Um, we also have Alex Cowboy Oliveira versus Nico Price, Misha Serkanov versus Christoph Jokto, and Aspen Ladd versus Macy uh, Chiasson. So there's some pretty decent fights coming up on that card, to be fair. Um, it is a fight night. It is at the UFC Apex, but Tiago Santos back in action will be a bit of fun. Um, then the following week, uh, we've got Dern versus Rodriguez, um, and then we have Holly Holm versus uh, Dumont with Andre Arlovsky fighting again. Go on, Andre. Uh, and then, of course, we have Paolo Costa versus Marvin Vittori, which promises to be a pretty good fight. So, yes, we have got uh, four fight nights before we go to UFC 267, which is, of course, Jan Blahovich versus Glover Teixeira, um, which has been flying under the radar a little bit. I know it's still a month away. It's on the 30th of October. But that'll be a pretty good fight. We forgot how good... Um, Jan Blahovich looked in his last fight. So that's where we're at. Um, apologies, there's been such a long break. Uh, I will try not to leave it so long. Last time, I think this was six weeks. Normally, I'll do every week or every other week, uh, depending on what is going on in the MMA world. But thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time on The Combat Review. That was episode 45 of The Combat Review. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow us on... Instagram at the Combat Review Podcast, on Twitter at Combat Review, and on YouTube at the Combat Review Channel. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time on episode 46 of the Combat Review.